When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Hello, everybody, and welcome to the Houston Astros preview episode of the Pitched Contact podcast, part of the Twins Talk Network. I'm your host, Ben Jones, and I'm joined, as always, by my co-host, John Ka. John, have you ever been to Houston before? I have. Oh, really? What did you do there? Uh, I was down there uh, helping out with uh, Hurricane Harvey relief. I think this was like 2017, maybe? 2018? Somewhere around there. Yeah, so um, that was my... One time to Houston. Okay. I've been down there maybe twice, and I don't think I've really done anything other than like stay in a hotel. So before like I was flying somewhere else. And mm, so yes. not not a lot of experience in the city, but as far as uh, the baseball goes, they t- tend to be pretty good down there. So um, I'm I'm excited for the series. First of all, obviously, the Twins are in the DS. Great. They moved on, right? Uh First series win in 21 years since 2002. First home series clincher since 1997, 1996, something like that. The World Series. And so, uh, yeah, it's an exciting time to be a Twins fan. They got all monkeys off of backs. There are no more monkeys. We can treat this team as a regular postseason team. Yeah, I'm just kind of thinking, like, if you had told me at the beginning of the season that the Twins would be in the ALDS, I think I would have been pretty surprised. (laughs) I think I would have too, but I wouldn't have been like a crazy amount of surprise. It's kind of what's expected, right? Um, They got to this point, I think, given the weakness of the division, which we didn't know how weak going in it was going to be. But Mm -hmm. still, I think it was a fair expectation to make the playoffs. And then, uh, you know, maybe I would have thought they would have gotten to the DS by a, uh, you know, by potentially instead of winning the wild card series. But I don't know. I think it's, it's pretty in line. There's definitely points along the season where I would have been thrilled with this outcome. But uh, yeah, no, it's uh, it's pretty exciting overall. Yeah, and then I mean, obviously, the fact that they won Game Two, or really just the entire Wild Card series in such dominating pitching fashion, makes me a little hopeful for how this division series is going to actually turn out. Yeah, they gave up two runs the entire three runs One the run. entire series. So. Yeah. Uh, yeah, no, obviously it doesn't get much better than that. Now, the downside is the offense is going to score more, right? The The chances of holding Houston to that low of run totals, I think, is slim to none. And so you're going to need your uh, hitting to step up. But uh, the good news is since you didn't have to go to a game three with Toronto, you get your choice of who you want for game one. If you want Ober, if you want Ryan, if you want Maeda. Any of the three are a great choice, and I think any of the three, there's up uh, positives and negatives, but you know it's nice to be able to mix and match instead of basically being forced to go with Ober in this game. Um, and then you get Pablo for game two, Sonny for game, game three, and if you go to game four, that's where you'd probably get the opposite of Ryan or Ober, and then game five, you'd be back to Pablo again. So all in all, I think the pitching stacks up fairly well for the Twins, all things considered. Of course, Houston, since they've been off, they can stack theirs up however they like. If they want to go Valdez-Verlander, Verlander-Valdez. Uh, either way, though, the the Twins have to be thrilled with where they're at, popping champagne in the locker room again for the uh, second time here in a few weeks. So 
Um, yeah, let, let's start with a quick recap of the game. Obviously, we're a day delayed here, and so you've probably read and heard everything there is to say about that game, but we'll go over it one more time. And uh, let's start with Sonny Gray, who was solid but not perfect uh, going into the game. You know, you're really hoping to get the best out of him, and I think it's good in this case that you didn't get the best out of him, and he still didn't allow any runs, and the Twins still managed to win the game. He was a little erratic, a little all over the place, uh, just allowing a few too many base runners. But again, no runs came across, and when you're putting up zeros in the playoffs, that's all that matters. Yeah, if you look at his pitch mix, I mean, he went very sweeper heavy in this one, um, really relying on that pitch in in this case, but still only managed four whips on it. Uh, overall, the pitch as a whole only had a 24% CSW percentage. Not that great, but the nice thing was that his fastball was on point. Um, seven called strikes, five whiffs on that pitch alone. And the curveball showed a few signs of life. Only got one whiff, but got two called strikes in it, getting you know that that hook in for some early uh, early in the count strikes, which is nice to see from uh, from Sunny. But overall, you know it was it was kind of your classic Sunny Gray start. You know, um, yeah. just very you know lets a lot of base runners, but ultimately like it, um, doesn't create too much trouble for himself there are definitely certain some certainly some instances where you know there's you know two men on base or things like that but overall you know only two walks which is not too bad six strikeouts and in five innings uh definitely a pretty good number there uh and you cannot complain with the zero earned runs yeah that that's literally all that matters at the end of the day but it definitely looked like the game plan going in for sunny was sweepers especially to all those big right-handed bats that the yep. blue jays have mm-hmm. which makes sense it's a very effective pitch against righties but it also looked like the blue jays were ready for it they were sitting on a sweeper from what it looked like i know Bo bichette went out and got a few of them that were outside of the zone and uh yeah that that kind of worked out for the twins because sunny was still decently uh locating them and so they weren't able to get a ton of hard contact off of him but the the biggest thing for me then uh, off of that was the fastball, like you mentioned, since they're sitting sweeper, uh, Sonny gr- blew a few fastballs by guys, which you don't really see him do a lot because, you know, he's sitting 92, 93, maybe 94. Uh, and so, yeah, it, it was an interesting game plan and it worked out very well for the Twins. Let's talk about now the uh, flip side of this, which is the Toronto starting pitching situation, which has been talked to death by uh, this yeah. point. But Jose Barrios, our old friend, was basically dominant for the first three innings. I think he allowed one hit. He walked Royce Lewis, and then he got pulled from the game for Mm -hmm. Kikuchi. Uh, And, you know, like I said, this has been talked about a ton already, but it seemed like that was going to be the plan the whole way through. Basically, you let Barrios face the order once. He faced a few more guys. And then once you got to the point of the lineup where it was Kepler, Kirilov, Correa, and then Walner, three out of four guys that were lefties, uh, the plan seemed like it was always at that point they were going to go to Kikuchi. And so Kikuchi comes in, uh, Kepler reaches, Solano comes in for Kirilov very early in the game, which you and I talked about in the moment there a little bit, maybe surprising for that move, but two men on, nobody out. Solano takes a walk and then you have the bases loaded with no outs for Carlos Correa, who uh, just sneaks a bottle past Bichette at short to get into center and score a run. And so from, you know, the, oh, we're using too much analytics for that crowd. Uh, this was just prime. Oh, we were right the whole time. You should have left Barrios in. But again, it seemed like this was the plan the whole way. And frankly, Barrios, who went very slurve heavy in this game, uh, maybe he wouldn't have done that if he knew he was going to face the order multiple times through, right? And so you can never know. And I mean, 
watching Barrios for most of his career as we did, we know very well that he can look great for three innings and really bad in the fourth. So um, I don't know. What what are your thoughts on the Barrios-Kikuchi situation there? I mean, he was still definitely pulled too early. You know, only yeah. 47 pitches. Like you mentioned, he was only one time through the batting order and was starting his second time through. Um, it Overall, the pitch mix wasn't too weird. I mean, when you only have 47 pitches, the, the stats are obviously a little bit skewed. Mm-hmm. That slurve was really solid, 33% CSW. The sinker was also pretty effective in getting called strikes, a 40% CSW there. But again, this is like he threw 10 sinkers, four of them were called strikes. Of course, that number is going to look good. Yeah. Do I think it's the, ultimately the wrong decision? Probably. You know, it probably was the wrong decision to pull him that early. I can see the logic behind it for sure. Um, just because you don't want him to face basically three really hot lefties, right? In yep. Kepler, Kirilov, and Walner. Um, I mean, granted, they, they weren't necessarily hot for the series, but they've been playing really well up to the end of the season. Um, the, the only annoying thing, I think, was the fact that, it, yes, he did walk Lewis, but I think it was the right move to walk him. You know, it was a good at-bat. Right. It wasn't like four non-competitive pitches. And then, you know, that's when he got the hook. Like Expecting him to strike out Lewis there at, at, at that at-bat, while, you know, righty on righty makes a lot of sense, it probably wasn't a thing where it's like, oh, if he if he walks him, then we pull him, right? Um, yeah, it was, it was only still one man on base. Yeah, it, it just seemed like uh, the plan was he's going to face Lewis that second time, and then that was it, pretty much no matter what. So whether mm-hmm. Lewis got a hit, whether he hit a home run, whether he walked, whether he struck out, I think that would have been Barrios's last guy either way. But yeah, it, it's definitely confusing. Not to give A-Rod too much credit after we went in on him in the last episode, but he pointed out in the broadcast, like the best thing you could do for the Twins in this game would be take out Jose Barrios. And he was completely right. The Twins looked completely lost at the plate. There was just not a chance. Uh, Rob, uh, Ron Schneider, what's his last, first name? Rob Schneider's an actor. I can't remember his first name. Anyway, the uh, Blue Jays GM, or Blue, oh, Blue Jays manager. Uh, manager. Yep. Thank you. Uh, he was quoted after the game basically saying, you know, that's the best Barrios has ever looked while he's been managing him, right? Mm-hmm. And so that definitely makes it sound like it wasn't fully a decision. But at the same time, um, you know, he's the guy in charge. If he really wanted to leave Barrios in in that spot, he could have. And he still decided to pull him. Right. Well, yeah. It's it's one of those situations where obviously we'll never know what really could have happened because yeah. we're very familiar with, you know, Jose Barrios blowups, right? It's not exactly... Yep the weirdest thing for him to go three innings, look amazing. And then all I mean, of a sudden look terrible in the fourth, right? That's basically what happened for him in the playoffs twice, you know, uh, as a member of the twins. And so mm-hmm. we, we've seen it in the, that exact spot. Right. Yeah. So ultimately, yeah, I don't, I'm just looking at the numbers right now. You know, if you really want to start nitpicking at stuff, which again, it's easy to pick through these things because we're looking, you know, with, with 2020 uh, hindsight vision though, his average against, against uh, lefties 261. He has, you know, a 773 OPS against 332 Woba. Like when he's facing lefties, he's not necessarily a great pitcher against lefties. Yeah. That's actually pretty bad. I would have, thought it'd be better for somebody of like his caliber, you know? Yeah. And this is, I mean, this is the season, right? But again, these are season numbers versus one game, right? right? One game where he clearly has his best stuff going. Yeah. He looked and he got through the entire lineup, you know, with, with no major issues, right? Yeah. Five strikeouts only gave up 
three hits, one one walk. Like he wasn't untouchable for sure, but at the same time, like he was doing really well. And so it's unfortunate for the for the Blue Jays that this is kind of how the game played out for them. Um, that being said, though, Breeze could have easily gone five five innings. Like we don't know yeah. what could have happened if if you know he stays on and then Kepler and Kirilov are up to bat, right? Like yep. it, we could have we could have had the same exact situation. Korea up to bat with the bases loaded, except now it's a righty on righty matchup instead of a, you know, righty on lefty matchup. Well, and to the point of like, you never know what's going to happen. I mean, frankly, the bigger issue here is that the Blue Jays didn't score, right? Like if you don't score any runs, it doesn't matter who you put in in that spot. Right. Yeah. It's not up to, yeah, as, as much as taking out Barrio sucks, the fact is the offense managed nine hits, two walks, but struck out 12 times. Actually, yeah. struck out more times than the Twins, which is incredible for you know yeah. the Twins being the Twins. But Brandon Belt, their number two hitter, three strikeouts. Kevin Biggio, who's having who had a really hot September, two strikeouts. Matt Chapman, Dalton Varsho, both had two strikeouts. Um, and like basically their best hitter actually of the day was uh, Santiago Espinal, who came in as a pinch hitter. He went two for two. Bichette, Bichette actually had a really solid game, right? Two for four. Yep. Um, Guerrero over three. The only way he got on base was on a walk. So yeah, it was just, it's just one of those scenarios where, yeah, they, they lost, but it was still a two zero game. Right. Yep. At the end of the day, like that's something that this offense, the Toronto offense should have been able to come back and, and, and win this game. Yeah. And the two games, they gave up three runs and two runs and lost both games. Right. We've talked about with the, about this with the twins at length before where mm-hmm. you get these great pitching performances and then you score one run, you know, more in the first half than the second half here for the twins. But right. still like when you do that as a pitching staff, especially in the playoffs, your offense has to show up. And, you know, to that point, um, Bichette played pretty well. I thought Bichette was good. Guerrero on the other hand, um, he just, I mean, we talked about that pickoff here in a second. That's, mm-hmm. a, you know, unforgivable, you know, mistake there as the second runner, you're not even the leading runner, but, um, yeah, no, Guerrero, while we talked about going into the series, like he's been good. He hasn't been MVP level good like mm-hmm. maybe the Blue Jays wanted, wanted him to be. But it seems like for this offense, you kind of need him to be MVP level Guerrero because you have a lot of good hitters and no great hitters. And like we've seen with the Twins, the what kind of keeps the offense going is that guy in the middle of the lineup who can have a 900 OPS and you can count on the drive in runs. You know, in the second half for, here for the Twins, that's been – Matt Walner and Max Kepler, right? Mm-hmm. Those have been the guys that have, you know, repeatedly come through and Royce Lewis, obviously, until he got hurt in those last two weeks. And so having those guys just completely changed the look of your offense. And I feel like especially the way the twins were attacking those guys, Bichette clearly kind of had that respect and that reputation. I didn't really feel like Vlad had a good at bat really in this whole game. He maybe put a ball in play hard once or twice in the game before, but it just it wasn't looking good for him in this game. Yeah, I mean, there was that one play, eighth inning, where he hit the line drive off Jacks, and then basically yeah. Michael e. Taylor had a really good read on it and immediately yeah. ran to the track and got that one. That was his best hit of the day, 105 miles an hour to the bat, 18-degree launch angle. But he barreled the ball. It just it what had I an expected Michael batting e. average of 530, but at the end of the day, we have a gold glover in, in center field, so yep. we're able to take care of, of, of hits like that. Other, I mean, to his credit, he didn't strike out in game two. He he, it was a fly out, a pop out, and a line out. That those were his three outs, and then he walked yeah. uh, in his other at bat. So you know, it, he wasn't like swinging wildly at stuff, um, and and being undisciplined. But 
you expect a guy like that to do more than just go, you know, over three. Yeah. Yeah. The, the comparison I always make is the twins in 2019 and uh, in 2020 with Nelson Cruz, where Nelson Cruz in the lineup, that's a guy who hits 300. If he's healthy, he's going to hit 40 home runs. He's going to put up an OPS, you know, 950 to a thousand, somewhere in that range. And that guy just completely changed everything for that offense. Like, yeah, you had a breakout season for Mitch Garver and Max Kepler or Hey, Polanco played well and Miguel Sano played well, right? All those things went right in 2019. But at the end of the day, that's all made significantly easier by having an MVP level hitter in the middle of that lineup. And that's what they need Guerrero to be. Um, and if he's not going to be that, then you have to go figure something else out, right? That's again, that doesn't mean that Vlad is a bad player, but it does kind of change the construction of your lineup and how that looks. Uh, so I think it's a little disappointing for the Blue Jays, but um, let, let's kind of wrap up here with what happened the rest of the way. Let's talk about some of those highlights. So bases loaded, still no outs. Correa uh, got that single, drove in a run. Uh, and then Willie Castro pinch hits for Matt Walner again, really early here. But uh, you want the uh, at-bat to not end in a strikeout, I guess, is the uh, the uh, solution that you're looking for there by bringing in Castro. Castro still hits into a double play, which isn't ideal, but a run does come in. That gives it 2-0, and that was all the Twins needed. Um Rocco, again, very aggressive with the pinch hitters more early this game than last. I think the more surprising one was Castro uh, for Walner. Yeah. But, yeah, it's it's a tough look. I don't think you expect necessarily Willie to hit in a, into a double play with his speed. So, I don't know. What what are your thoughts on that second sub there? Yeah, I mean, you and I had messaged about this when, the, when it happened. I was like, this seems incredibly stupid in the fourth inning. Right. Bases loaded. Yusei Kikuchi is on the bound as a lefty facing Matt Walner, who is also a lefty, right? And so the the main thing here though was that there was only there were no there were no outs, no outs. right? There were no outs at this point, right? Yep. So my thought process here at the time was Walner for the most part is not like a big uh ground ball guy, right? Like the strikeouts and fly balls. He strikeouts and fly balls. That, that's pretty yeah. much what he is, right? And you made a good point. If you strike out, there's no, you don't get a run, right? right. That, that's just what happens. Um, if you get a fly ball, that's probably a, it's probably a sack fly, right? Mm-hmm. Um, and that's kind of what I was thinking here was like, yeah, sure. He's not going to hit it. He might not get a hit here, but he could get a sack fly. That's one out. And he, um, and then you get in a run, advance all the, you might not advance runners. So you still have someone on first and second. And then you have Jeffers up as a righty to face uh, Kikuchi with, with still with only one out. Right. And that was my thought process. It's like, you know, let's just say he only, he, I'm just looking at the numbers right now. He struck out um, against lefties. 32, 33% of the time. Yeah. Yeah. 32.6% of the time. His average is, is one nineteen, So it's pretty abysmal. Yeah. Um, And unfortunately fan graphs doesn't have, um, Oh, it does have ground ball numbers. 37% 37% of the time it's a ground ball, 11% of the time it's a line drive, 52% of the time it's a fly ball. So I get I get it, right? Like you mentioned, yeah. if you if, if Castro even gets his bat to the ball at all, you score a run and you're more likely to get that. You're more likely to get contact with Castro hitting, right? Mm-hmm. And in the end, that's what happened, right? He, even though he hit into a double play, we still got a run to score. I personally would have liked to see Walner in stay in the game um, only because it wasn't, it's only in the fourth inning. They've used one of their lefties in Kikuchi. If you keep Walner in, 
like are they are you are you going to force their hand to throw, put in another lefty reliever? Yeah. I don't think so, right? Especially with Walner surrounded by Correa, Jeffers and Michael A. Taylor, just it would just never make sense to bring in a lefty to face face Walner specifically if there were less than two outs in the inning. So to me, it would have made more sense to to have Walner in there, but I totally see the logic now for for Willie Castro. Yeah, it's kind of similar to what we talked about, you know, in the last game when they made the subs, which is you take what's in front of you and see what you can get, right? So in that spot, yeah, it was the fourth inning, but you have the bases loaded. Uh, there's no outs. You don't know if you're ever going to get a chance like this again in the game. And so you, I get going with the guy who's going to more likely get your run. And, you know, with how well Castro was swinging the bat in the last month here since he came back from his injury, I don't know if it's that much of a downgrade offensively, right? That's a very different offensive profile, mm-hmm. but yeah. Um, you know, I don't know how much of a downgrade it really is. And then defensively also, you get the huge upgrade. Uh, Castro's significantly better defender out there and left than Walner, who, you know, we talked about it before. Walner, good arm, just sometimes looks lost. He's, he's a big guy, right? And so he just sometimes doesn't get the balls. And so uh, Castro for Walner, I think, is the bigger one. I think Solano for Kirloff in that spot, they'll pretty much make that sub every time, mm-hmm. uh, especially with how well Solano has hit lefties and righties this year. Uh, but, you know, we saw then the next inning, they didn't sub out Julian right away, basically because it was a low leverage at bat. They didn't bring in Farmer for him. It was nobody on base, one out, I think, and right. Julian still hit against the lefty because, again, it doesn't matter in that yeah. spot. So I think, uh, you know, maybe if the Twins already had two outs, it doesn't matter how you make an out. If you make an out, maybe you leave Walner in at that point. Mm-hmm. But with the no out still, again, it worked out. So I'm not going to complain. Yeah, I, I guess one more point, and I don't want to get too analytically com- looking into this because frankly with percentages like these they're simply just coin flips right but willie castro when he faces lefties as a righty his ground ball percentage is 51 percent but his fly ball percentage 35 percent and he only strikes out 20 percent of the time so basically he's going to put the bat to the ball four out of five times yeah versus versus walner who does it two out of three times it's a, it, the only issue is in a loaded in a basis loaded situation you do not want a ground ball at all. Um, yeah, but I mean it scores it still scored a run. Up, but yeah, it it worked out for the Twins in this case. Um, yep. Which again, it's it's one of those things where hey the 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 Blue Jays pulled Correa. Uh, sorry, Correa, they pulled Barrios and then they had a lefty face basically three out of four lefties and they forced the Twins to sub out. Yeah. One of their power lefty power lefty guys for Willie Castro, who, like you said, two of them if you count Kirilov. Yeah, exactly. To so it it also kind of worked for uh, the tw- the Blue Jays except Kikuchi just couldn't um, couldn't execute. Yeah. Well, and and again, you got the Twins to do exactly what you wanted from the Blue Jays' perspective, which is right. now those guys are out for the rest of the game. So now instead of facing Matt Walner in the seventh, eighth, ninth inning, you're mm-hmm. facing Willie Castro, which I'm sure they would prefer. And so yeah, it's a uh, you know. Basically, the Blue Jays did what the the Twins did, what the Blue Jays wanted them to do, and it didn't matter because they just couldn't score. But Mm -hmm. it did kind of work because the rest of the way they were shut out and didn't really threaten to score the rest of the way for the most part. So, um, you know, it's hard to fault the move from the Blue Jays' perspective too. But looking at it again from the Twins, this is what we've seen from them all year. Yeah, Walner has faced a lefty here and there, but it's because, oh, they're leaving him in the lineup because there's just not another righty bat to play, right? Mm -hmm. They've protected both him and Kirilov and Julian uh, pretty uh, consistently all the year through. And so there's not really any scenario where I think any of the three of them are going to take an important at-bat against a left-handed pitcher. Yeah. You, I mean, fourth inning is a little 
crazy, but yeah, I kind of agree with you there. Yeah. And then when you're looking towards the Astros, right, the nice thing about the Astros is they have one left-handed reliever maybe, and he might not even be on the playoff roster. And so maybe they do in this case just to, again, force the Twins' hand. But obviously you have Framber Valdez, but you get the opposite effect then in that case where you're going to start with the righties in the lineup with Farmer, with um, – Sorry, with Farmer, with Castro, and with Solano in the lineup. And then once the uh, lefty gets subbed out, then you're going to see the opposite. So you're going to see the Twins get better there at the end, potentially, which might be, uh, you know, an interesting strategic advantage that they could have in this series compared to the Blue Jays. Yeah, I'm... the Astros, I think, get to announce their roster tomorrow, I believe, right? That's when ALDS rosters come out on Friday. I'm not sure. I haven't seen. Okay. Um, it, I mean, one day before the, the series starts would probably make sense. But, um, yeah, it is it is very interesting that then in their entire staff, they only have, have two lefties. Um, and, yeah, like we just said, that kind of plays into the Twins' advantage just a little bit. Uh, but like we talked about, couple days ago the twins are actually really good against have been really good against lefties in the last two months yeah they've gotten more healthy and they've been able to platoon that i mean it'll be also be interesting to see what the twins do with their roster where you know maybe you add a guy like jordan luplo over andrew stevenson because Mm -hmm. uh you want the other righty bat basically that would be exclusively for facing framber valdez which you're almost definitely going to do twice in this series so before we start really digging into this astros team i do want to shout out the relievers because yeah. other than Varlin, who, let's be honest, also had a huge strikeout against Bichette. Yep. Uh, but then he probably gave up two hits. Um, Thielbar, Brock Stewart, in his first playoff appearance this this uh, oh, Brock Stewart this looked year. like prime Brock Stewart. Dude, like Brock June St- Brock Stewart. That, his stuff looks so good. Yeah. he w- Well, so first off, with Varlin, Varlin touched 100 again. Yeah. Which was great to see. Thielbar looked great as well, cleaning up for um, cleaning for, up Varland. For, for Varland. Yep. And then, yeah, Brock touched 98, um, had an average of 97.6 on nine fastballs. Um, but yeah, his stuff looked great. He was so fired up. Uh, I was so happy for him to, to do to, to perform that well. And then Jax with just, honestly, we were talking about this during game one, right? Like it, it's the eighth inning. It's Guerrero, Bichette. Yeah. Kevin Biggio. Exact same thing. This exact time. same thing this time. And he did even better. I mean, yep. he did he did give up that line out to, to Carrero. So maybe that was a little bit of a carbon copy from last from the last game. But uh handled handled Bichette and then uh more or less tackled Kevin Biggio <laughs> to get the final out of that inning, which I thought was hilarious. I think who tackled who is up for debate. Yeah. But uh yeah, no, just a little squibber, you know, right down the first baseline. Jax goes to pick it up, Biggio's right there, he tags them, they kind of run into each other. Mm-hmm. Seems like everybody was okay, so no harm, no foul. Yeah, but yeah, shout out to Jax performing in, in those big situations. And then of course uh you want Duran, you just um also Michael K, learn how to pronounce Duran's last name. Jeez. Oh yeah. No, he, he had a few uh, in there where he was I – mean, who was the other one? I can't remember who it was, but there's another guy where it's like you're just, you're not saying it wrong. You're saying it kind of off. I, I don't get – oh, it was Barrios. So he, was, he, was, he was going uh, Barrios, Barrios a few times. Yeah. And uh, what was the other one? But he gave it another pronunciation at one point. I was like, pronounced oh, Michael A. Taylor kind of weird too. Yeah. Uh, maybe maybe it's a weird New York thing. I don't know. Anyways, Yon Duran, um, heck, a heck of a performance. Yeah. Um, you know, comes in, has probably what, like a, I don't know if they officially confirmed if it was like a blister or just like a random cut on his finger. 
I believe it was a cut. Was it a cut? Yeah. So yeah. they glued it up and then <laughs> he looked so wild in those first two pitches. I was like, oh no, this is going to be like the. This is going to be like uh, Joe Nathan giving up uh, some crucial runs again at the bottom at the at the end of the ninth. Yeah. But, um, no, he he settled down, was firing absolute heat, and yeah, finished with three strikeouts. Um, just an absolute sick performance from Duran. Yeah, he uh, in this series he faced Matt Chapman twice, and I think he threw him six curveballs and struck him out twice. Yeah, so. Chapman was just <laughs> that three curveball at bat at the end. Yeah, Chapman was just absolutely disgusting. Like, yeah, it was. I mean, you really just see like how good his stuff is, and uh, I, I've given him some crap before for being like, "Oh, why are you throwing the curveball? You can throw one hundred two, one hundred three. Well, that's why you throw the curveball. It's a really good pitch. So good, it's it's, it's, it's amazing. Because I think saw, it's sorry, coming at sorry, it's coming at an eighty nine. I just have to say, it's coming at an eighty nine, and it's still so loopy. Like, yeah, it's. It's yeah, it's so, such a great pitch. Yeah, and then you're geared up for the you know 103 mile fastball, 100 mile hour splitter, and then you see that at 89, it's crazy. Yeah, I don't know how anybody ever hits him, frankly. Um, one one other thing to uh, shout out here, I don't know if you saw Brent Rooker on Twitter. Oh yeah, yeah, <laughs> uh, yeah. Somebody tweeted at him what and basically said, "How do you explain uh, Duran's splinker here?" Yeah. And Rooker replied to him and was like. It's not a splinter, it's a splitter, but people are afraid to call it that because it goes 100 miles an hour and they don't understand how he can do that. Yeah. And honestly, like if you look at like how it moves, it definitely is a splitter. Uh, and frankly, how the batters react to it, they react to it like it's a splitter. Yeah. And mm-hmm. uh, yeah, that was just a little funny reply from him. Right, yeah. Um, also, just, I mean, have to shout out uh, Carlos Correa. Um, great performance from him overall. Uh, yep. on that day two for three with a run batted in uh started the double play uh to finish one of those innings and then as the um, bases loaded went uh louis varland on the mound yes that's varland. right yeah yep. and then Thielbar was the one who got the got the ground out there um, first of his season first double play for him on the entire season yeah and then um also had a crew i mean just crucial uh role in getting that pickoff of vladimir guerrero jr um and yeah just what a just a masterful game from him even though it didn't even though what didn't feature any you know massive home runs or anything like that you know just yep. i think he was the best player of that game for sure yeah let's uh let's talk about that pickoff really quick before before we wrap up on the game here but uh apparently earlier in the game Correa goes to some of the coaches and to Sonny Gray and says hey uh the guys out there on second base, they can't hear the third base coach, right? They can't hear the base coaches. The crowd's too loud. It's going crazy. Mm -hmm. You know, look out for a spot where we can do this. You know, obviously if you're the lead runner, you're paying a little bit more attention. I think what happened here, you know, Vlad is the second guy, right? There's runners on second and third, Vlad at uh, Vlad at second. And you're just not really thinking about getting picked off because that's never what happens in a baseball game, right? You Mm -hmm. never go to the back runner for the most part. And so, um, basically because of that, what happens in that role is if you see the shortstop, creeping behind to go back to a uh, second base mm-hmm. the third base coach will yell at you like hey back or hey pick off or something like that yeah carlos correa creeps back there probably the third base coach yells but again carlos correa says hey they can't hear you mm-hmm. vlad doesn't notice until sunny's already turning around sunny turns around and just throws a strike directly to correa correa makes a great tag yeah vlad out end of the inning which is awesome for multiple reasons one of them being uh Bo Bichette's at the plate it's three and two there's two outs uh you know, the tying run on second base and they mm-hmm. get out of it without having to throw another pitch to Bichette. Yeah, exactly. Just, just great, great veteran play from, from, uh, 
Sonny Gray and Carlos Carrera right there. And yeah. um, they're both fired up about it. Yeah. It was, very cool. The, their see. celebration was a lot of fun to watch. Yep. And then one more uh, maybe injury note here. Carlos, Carlos Correa in the eighth inning got hit on the hand by a pitch. Mm-hmm. He stayed in the game, finished the game. Uh, he said the x-rays were negative on it. Uh, sometimes that doesn't mean it's just, you know, fine and dandy, but hopefully the days off mean he'll be ready to go. But it was very funny. Also, after he got hit, he went to first base, Rocco comes out, Rocco's talking to him. And then yeah. they kind of, they kind of dap each other up and yeah. like, Oh, well he, uh, you know, high fived him pretty hard with his hands. So that's yeah. probably a good <laughs> sign, but you know, Dr. Rocco out there just, you know, dapping him up to see if he's healthy now. Yeah. Very funny. Anyway, great series. Twins move on. They face the champs. Let's talk here about the Astros. Um, So on the season, the Twins faced them six times. They won twice. They lost four of them. But one thing I'll say about this is I remember both of these series. I remember that pretty much all of the games except one were competitive and the Twins were in it. And, you know, I think a lot of the times for the Twins in recent years when they're playing the Yankees, the Astros, Braves for that matter, right? These big hitters, you kind of leave that being with like, oh, they're in a completely different class than where the Twins are. Mm -hmm. I didn't really feel that way at all this year. It was early in the year too, but um, I think this is a pretty good matchup for the Twins. We talked about the pitching already. They have Framber Valdez, but other than that, they don't have to worry about the lefties. Um, They got the big bats, but I think the Twins handled them decently well in their matchups. But uh, John, what are your kind of like entry thoughts here on the Astros? I mean, it's absolutely fitting that the the one thing preventing us from moving on to the championship series is a certain man named Justin Verlander, who <laughs> I intensely dislike with all of my heart. Um, and yeah, it's 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 a dangerous team. Yep. But the the good thing I think that we have in our in our pocket is that we have better starters than them. Um, and it's, that that might sound crazy, but it's Framber Valdez, who again is one of the best lefties in the game, but this year he hasn't been that good. Uh, yeah, he, he was really good up until when he threw that no hitter, and he hasn't been very good since yeah, then. Pretty well, yeah, kinda, exactly. Since it's kind of what happened to Joe Ryan, where Joe Ryan throws that complete game shutout, probably gets a little bit overworked and doesn't quite look the same after. Yeah, I mean, let's just look at expected numbers: three point four five ERA, but a four point three or X ERA. Yeah, his FIP's a little bit better: three point five FIP with an X FIP of actually three point three nine. So. Pretty solid numbers there overall. Um, the biggest issue for him is he's just a guy who doesn't have overpowering stuff. You know, only a 24% um, strikeout rate. Framber Valdez is not like a big strikeout guy. Uh, yeah. He only Huge gets ground ball guy. Huge ground ball guy there, right? Yeah. That's the thing. And it's like if you have hard – if you have guys who can hit the ball hard, uh, even if they're grounders, they can still get through. So I think that's, that's a good – that's a good matchup for the twins. I mean, again, he is a lefty, so it's, it is a little scary. Um, this could go very poorly, but he is human. He's not yep. as elite as he was in the previous years. Yeah, I mean, to, to that effect, I think before this year, Framber Valdez had literally the highest ground ball rate of any pitcher in baseball history, period, right? And that's going back a long ways where, you know, back to days where strikeouts were not important. And Framber Valdez was that guy this year. He still has a very good uh, ground ball rate, but mm-hmm. it's not historically good. Yeah. And then of course, Justin Verlander. I mean, we could, you know, talk for days about him. I mean, this year he's been maybe not as sharp. He has a caper nine of only eight, basically 3.6 or 3.22 ERA, 3.85 FIP. We look at his whip. I mean, still really astronomically small, one point one three. So that's really good numbers there. 
Only a 21% strikeout rate though, right? So yep. again, he's not getting guys out kind of the normal way that he's he always has. His walk rate's a little bit higher this year, 6.7%. Um, again, he's still incredibly elite, but he also... He's touchable now. He's touchable, yeah. And yep. so his like a big thing with... with um, with uh, Verlanders, his fastball velocity has gone down this season by like mm-hmm. I think a tick or so. Um, so his his stuff isn't as dangerous. That doesn't mean you should you know think you're the Twins are are able to tag him for a bunch of runs. But the reality is that he's not the dominant guy that he was, frankly, last year when he won the yeah. Cy Young. So, yeah, when he won the Cy Young at thirty nine, and clearly I think there's something here that's a little bit off. But kind of like Max Scherzer, who they've kind of followed similar career paths here. Um, you know, he's still really, really good and he still has the stuff to come up and dom- dominate you. I think instead of looking at him as, you know, this all time world-class pitcher, like maybe he was last year, mm-hmm. he's kind of viewed a little bit more like how the twins went after Gossman, right? Gossman, very, very good pitcher, Cy Young candidate, but not untouchable. And so, and, and the other thing too, is that um, with, with these types of games where you know exactly who you're facing, Mm-hmm. tons of tape right that was that was yep. the thing with the twins they were like we're not gonna we're not gonna chase the splitter they probably have similar thoughts on on framber and and verlander we're, we're not gonna touch this pitch right if you see this coming don't go for it so yeah um so yeah some definitely some uh good matchups for the twins right i think pablo and and sunny gray have shown that they're very capable pitchers and the way that the schedule is kind of making itself known, you know, like you said, probably Joe Ryan or Bailey Ober, even Kenta Maeda has a shot of being the game one starter, but then game two and game three, you could have Pablo and Sonny Gray right there again. Yep. Um, the other thing that'll be interesting here is whether the Astros decide to go with Valdez or Verlander in game one, because essentially what that means is whoever they put there is likely who you'll face in game five. Mm-hmm. Uh, maybe you'll face them both twice anyway, if you go game four and game five. But uh, that game one, you're definitely going to face that one twice if the ser- series extends. And right. so uh, that, that'll that be an interesting decision because, like you said, you know, Valdez has been very good in the past, has just been okay this year. Mm-hmm. Verlander, kind of the same thing. Who do they feel more confident in? And maybe just since it's the Twins, you go with Valdez because he's the lefty. Yeah. Uh, and so that I think that'll give a big insight into what the Astros are thinking whenever those game one starters are announced. Yeah. The, the nice thing here, though, is the schedule kind of works in really both teams' favor. Um, game four is going to be Wednesday and then game five is going to be Friday. So the twins could conceivably have Joe Ryan pitch game one. And then on essentially four days rest pitch game four, if they needed to, or they could bring in Bailey over for that matter. Yeah. And, and then, then Pablo gets game, game five. five. Yeah. They could, they could yeah. skip Ryan and go to, go to Pablo. Yeah. So yeah. Uh, that's, you know, in terms of pitching, I think the twins have, have the edge weirdly enough uh, yeah. because if you look at the rest of the guys that are on uh, on the Houston team, it's Christian Javier who's had a pretty up and down season this um, this year, um, and then next guy is Jose Urquidy who's just a guy who somehow has just like clung to staying on that playoff roster despite not great numbers. His area this year is five point two nine. That should already give you an indication of how yeah. the season's going for him. The other guys, I mean. It, it, they did have one game this past year where it was JP France, who's a rookie this season. I think he had eight strikeouts and five innings against the Twins, but that was just one game. And now he's actually relegated to long relief for the for the Astros. So, you know, once we get past Valdez and Verlander, 
it's a little bit easier for the twins. Of course, that's, you know, that's a really easy thing to say, but um, it, pitching wise, I think we have a much better starting staff uh, one through four or one through three, uh, depending on how they shape it up um, than, than Houston does. Yeah. The, uh, I think the big question for Houston is if you need a fourth starter, uh, who do you go with? And maybe, you know, like you're saying, they just go three and it doesn't matter. But the the fourth one, Javier is a big step down from Verlander and Valdez. Again, he's had a little bit of a weird year this year with the four, five, six ERA. Um, his expected ERA is four, four, five. That's not much better. His FIP is four, five, eight. That's basically the exact same. And his ex-FIP is five, one, six, which is even worse, right? Basically what's kind of kept him in it here is that he has a pretty low batting average against, but he's given up uh high Babbitt and he's walked a few too many guys. Right. And so yeah. that's kind of what's and home runs also. And uh, actually his home run rate's pretty good. Take that back. But it's just been a kind of weird year for him where the strikeouts haven't been there like they have been in the past. And so I, I think you kind of have that, those three laid out. And then with that fourth, do you go with Urquidy? Do you go with JP Sears? Do you go with Hunter Brown, their rookie who's has good stuff, but not good results to back it up. Yeah. And, well, uh, Brown's not even stretched out. He only pitched. 15 oh, is pitches. he not? He pitched 15 pitches on Sunday. Uh, in the last game of the season. So he's no longer switched out to be a starter. Well, there you go. Then I really like the Twins' chances. But that also may just mean that they go with those three, and especially for the division series where you really don't need four, they could very well get away with that. Yeah. Um, And so, again, it'll, it'll be an interesting decision to see where they go. If you were the Astros, which one would you go with? Would you go with Valdez or Verlander for game one? i probably go with Verlander um, just because the – the experience, yeah. right? He's been here before. Uh, Franber is still a great pitcher. There's nothing against it, but I think if you want, if you want to win Game One, you just put the ace on the mound, and to me, that's Verlander on this team. Yeah. So uh, let, let's talk about uh, more from the Twins side here. Uh, one last thing before we do that, though, is with those starters, uh, Valdez, Verlander, Javier, the Twins didn't face any of the three of them this year, so. Um, you know, you could go back and look at previous years with the rookies and the new guys that are on the team. I don't know how applicable that is. And so uh, on the other side, then the twins, Sonny Gray, Joe Ryan, Pablo Lopez. Pablo didn't face the Astros this year. Sonny Gray faced them once. He went seven innings, uh, gave up one run, four hits, one walk, and he struck out 13. One of his best starts of mm, the season. Yeah. Very good Sonny Gray start here. Um, and then, oh, sorry, he faced them twice. And then the second time around, he went six innings, gave up five hits, three walks. Five runs and three strikeouts, so not nearly as good the second time around. Joe Ryan also faced him twice. Uh, he won, First game, he went six innings. He only gave up three hits and a walk, but those three hits and the walk were all in the same inning, and the last hit was a grand slam by Jordan Alvarez. Oh, so, I remember that. <laughs> yeah. If you take that away, he literally they got I was nothing at, else I off of him. I was at that game. <laughs> yeah. Literally not a single other thing off of him, but that one inning, he gave up the three hits and a walk and the grand slam, and – that was it. And uh, again, he still went six innings and he still struck out 10. So I would still call that a pretty good start from Joe. Uh, and then the second time around uh, went four innings, gave up four hits, three walks, five runs, six strikeouts, not nearly as good that time around. So uh, yeah, I don't know. The uh, twins have a decision here to make with game one. Basically, I don't think they'd go with Maeda. I think they'll probably either go with Ryan or Ober with Maeda ready to fill in if one of them gets pulled early. Uh, but who would you go with in this spot, Ryan or uh, Bailey Oper for game one? I think I have to go with Ryan. Yeah. I think because I like the ceiling a little bit better. Yeah. Um, with Ober, 
I, you know, when, when you put Oberyn, you're kind of hoping for a quality start, right? You, you hope yep. he only gives up three runs in six innings. And if he does anything better than that, that'd be amazing, right? But if you put Joe Ryan in there, you're expecting basically seven. No, okay, let's not get too crazy. Six innings, you know, maybe eight strikeouts, maybe only giving up one run, right? That's his ceiling right there. And I think if you want to, if you want to make a statement on game one, that's who you go with. Yep. I, uh, I don't know. So Houston has a small ballpark, especially with that shorter field out there and left. Mm-hmm. And, uh, you know, with a guy like Altuve, Altuve that loves to hit him out there and Joe Ryan having his home run pop problems, I think, I don't know. Because you're right that, like, Joe Ryan has the potential to go seven innings and not give up a run. Bailey Ober most likely isn't going to do that, but he also – um, looked a lot stronger towards the end of the year than I felt like Joe Ryan did. And I think, that's true. Uh, you know, if the Twins maybe could have had their choice for game three, they might have gone with Ober for a game three. Not that I think Joe Ryan is this terrible option or anything by any stretch of the imagination, but uh, just the home runs especially worry me against that lineup with Altuve, Alvarez, Bregman, Tucker. Those are the top four you're facing, and those are four of the best hitters in baseball, period. Jose Altuve, I think, is a little bit of an afterthought because he's been doing it for forever. He was hurt for most of the first half, and since he's been back, he basically played like an MVP level the rest of the way, right? He was one of the most valuable players in baseball the second half. Uh, Kyle Tucker has been solid all year. Jordan Alvarez has been a little bit up and down, but has been hitting a lot better towards the end of the year. Alex Bregman somehow I think still has a really good war, but isn't hitting that well. I don't know. I don't get the Alex Bregman thing. I don't really understand how his war calculations work, but uh, you know, those are still four very, very good players. And so that's, I think a little bit scary for Joe Ryan and the difference between um, maybe the blue Jays lineup and the Astros lineup is the Astros don't have you know, as deep of quality, mm-hmm. Martin Maldonado is going to be starting probably all of these games. He can't hit to save his life. He is there strictly to call games and catch pitches. Uh, you know, Chaz McCormick's been good this year, but Michael Brantley's played all of 20 games. He's a solid hitter for his career, but again, he hasn't played that much. Jeremy Pena hasn't been very good this year. Jose Abreu has been god awful this year. And so, you don't have the same depth you have to worry about, but those four can win you plenty of games just by themselves. Yeah, it's a very scary lineup, but I think this kind of plays with the Twins' strengths is that they have really good pitching, and Houston is really good hitting. And yep. it's going to be you know a, a, a fight on who's going to come out on top ultimately. Um, and if the Twins' pitchers can handle the Astros' batters, uh, then it's going to ultimately come up to the twins batters then to, to win a game, which is again, something stupid to say, because obviously that's a good point, the bad, you need bats to win the game. But if, if the twins can neutralize um, those bats, then it's the opportunity is for the, the twins bats to win a game, as opposed to, you know, this, this series with the blue Jays where the bats didn't do much. So that the pitchers were the ones that kind of handled the business. Um, I think for, for this series, because the, because the pitching is a little bit closer, um, it's really going to come down to bad production. Yeah. And the nice thing here, again, like I mentioned earlier, the Twins faced Houston early in the year, right? Before they had their good bats uh, really in the lineup, right? Before you had Lewis, Walner, Julian in there every single day, no matter what. And so it'll be a different team in some senses and uh, the, when the Astros face them this time around. And you got to include Max, Max Kepler in that as well, who's turned his season around. So uh, and the Twins get one night game this time around in the first three for sure. Yeah. So you get at least one good game of Max Kepler. 
Well, watch that be the game that they bring out um, forever vaultes. Honestly, like because that's you're game looking two. For these, like <laughs> I know when you're looking for all these like little advantages, maybe that would factor in to uh, um, you know. Guys, we're going to stop Max Kepler, and we're going to do that by when he's doing well in a in a night game, he's going to face forever vaultes. Yeah, of course. The other concern with uh, the Astros is that they they literally won the World Series last year with most of these guys, right? Yeah. Verlander left for the Mets and then came back. And so like he was on this team last year, uh, you know, really the only major key player here that wasn't on the team, it's Jose Abreu, who's a veteran, knows what he's doing. Yeah. Uh, and then uh, Yainer Diaz, who's their backup catcher slash usually DH. Yeah. And so uh, other than that, you know, these are the same guys that have been there and done it every single year. Yeah. Can we also speak to the fact that the Twins bench is so much better than this this Astros mm-hmm. bench. Mm-hmm. Um, like you have it in front of you, who's on their bench? Yeah, so Yainer Dito, who you mentioned, yep. right? Who's really Probably had a really solid, really games. solid like April, uh, August, and September. But again, yep. he's he's a backup catcher, and for I think with the Astros, they're going to have Maldonado call every single game. They're not going to yep. risk um, having a bad a, a bad defensive catcher uh, behind the plate. I mean, if Mar- if Martin Maldonado doesn't catch these games, literally, why is he on the roster? Exactly. Yeah. And then you have John Singleton, who was um, <laughs> dropped by Milwaukee. Um, you have a guy called Gray Kessinger. Literally never heard of him. Nope, not once. <laughs> He's a 26-year-old infielder. This is his rookie season. Yep. We follow baseball very closely, and I have never heard of this guy. Yes. Uh, there's Mauricio Dubon, who is kind Solid of their player. utility dude, right? Yep. He's fine, but he's yep. nothing to, to write home about. He's Willie Castro. Yeah. And then Jake Myers, who's kind of their like defensive uh, outfielder replacement, yep. right? He's not a, he's not an offensive uh, juggernaut at all. Yeah. And then you look at the Twins bench, right? You've got Willie Castro, who's a switch hitter and can actually do some stuff. He's, he's fast on the bases and um, has decent bat production. Christian Vasquez, who admittedly is kind of the same thing as Martin Maldonado, right? That yep. That's who he is. But then you have Kyle Farmer, who... Solid defender, righty. Uh, not as important this this series because there's not that many lefties. But um, you know he's had he's been a very solid uh, replacement. Donovan Solano, who only hits barrels, um, and then then you have to decide: Do we keep Andrew Stevenson? Do we bring in Jordan Luplo? Could this be the return of Byron Buxton? Yeah. Um, it's just like a very, it's just a much deeper bench in my opinion. There's a lot more options to do here. The only thing though is that unlike um, uh, unlike t- the Toronto series, uh, Houston is not going to bring in any random lefties. So we can't just randomly insert a righty for a lefty when we want to. But then it also plays into our advantage of then Kirloff can stay in the game. Walner can stay in the game. Yeah. Uh, Julian can stay in the game. So yeah, it's it's uh, there's a lot of options here, I think, for the Twins and what they can do. And I, I do like their team one through nine better than the Astros one through nine. It's just the problem that the Astros one through four is so much scarier than the twins one through four. Yeah. And, and here's the other problem too, is with, with their lineups, we already talked about, you know, the offense, maybe not being what it could be depth wise uh, with Michael Brantley back pretty much in every game, you're going to either have to have Jordan Alvarez or Michael Brantley playing left field. The other one, probably DHs. Those are two very poor defenders, right? Not that Matt Walner is any great, excellent defender, but he, uh, he would make, any Ashes fan very happy with his defense in left field compared to what they've got right now. Well, so, it's, it's going to be Brantley for sure in the outfield because Jordan's just basically been DHing this entire season. Yeah. And so, you know, Brantley is 
what, 38, 39, 37? He's somewhere up there. He, he you know, just doesn't have he's it. Like actually he 36. Anymore. Dear God, 36. I thought he'd been around a lot longer than that. Yeah. But either <laughs> way. 12 years. So here's actually the funny thing. He has 12 years of service time. Um, <laughs> and the next closest in terms of service time is uh, Jose Altuve, who's actually three years younger than him at 11 years of service time. So. Yeah, I guess Abreu Abreu's older, but he got started late. He started late. Yeah, he only has nine years of service time, and he's older yeah. than Brantley. Well, interesting. Anyway, uh, Brantley maybe he's just scarred into my brain from the uh, Cleveland years. But hey, that's definitely it. Yeah. Anyway, he uh, he's still not fleet of foot out there anymore. Right? No, and so, no, he is not particularly fast. Yeah. And if I can uh, if I can quote one of my Astros friends I was talking to today, he was telling me that it's harder this year because not only do we have to beat the Twins, we have to beat Dusty Baker, uh, <laughs> where he's made some very questionable. Uh, Management choices. I know the big complaint, you know, with lineup construction. We talked about this early in the year, I think, from a fantasy perspective. But yeah. Kyle Tucker just was never hitting in the top of the lineup for whatever reason. He's finally batting fourth. <laughs> yeah, exactly. And then the other problem that's been more recent now that they fixed that is Chaz McCormick, who's quietly had like an all star level season. He's been one of the best hitters. Uh, Dusty just doesn't play him sometimes. And it's not entirely clear why. And so, um, I know Astros fans have been very frustrated with him this year to say nothing of uh, bullpen decisions and things like that. But from the, you know, if you're looking at it uh, strength by strength, right, or uh, aspect by aspect, I think hitting will probably go towards the Astros with that top level strength they have. Pitching, Mm -hmm. I think the Twins have the best pitching left on the AL side of the bracket. Orioles aren't particularly strong. We already know the Rangers aren't that good. And, you know, the Astros here are probably the best they're going to face the rest of the way. So I would give the Twins the advantage there. Uh, defense I'd probably give to the Astros at this point. And then uh, starting pitching to the Twins, bullpen maybe to the Astros, all in all, that pretty much comes up to be a wash, you know? Yeah. The the bullpen is very scary, right? Yeah. Rafael Montero back there, Kendall Grayman back there, who evidently didn't have a great season with the White Sox, but still he, he's really solid. Brian Abreu has shown some life. Hector Norris is kind of one of those guys who got, gets a lot of holds, really solid dude. And, of course, yeah. ex-twin Ryan Presley is just – um, just been one of the out. best closures in baseball since he went over there. Pretty much. Um, I mean, he's been kind of injured this year, so he hasn't played as much as he has in years past. Um, he actually doesn't even lead the team in saves, which is kind of funny. But um, So he'll be fresh is what you're saying. It, yeah, exactly. <laughs> but yeah, th- that bullpen is really scary. That being said, though, I think the Twins bullpen has shown up in the last yeah. two games to, to prove that like, hey, we don't we we're, we're good. Like we didn't even need we didn't even put Emilio Pagan in the game. Yeah. I mean, and, and like we talked about with the last one too, you know, these are do or die, die games. If you go to uh, Stewart, Thielbar, Jax, Duran in every single game, that's okay. That's what, that's what this is for. This is why you have those guys. So, um, but on the flip side, Houston could do the exact same thing, right? Yeah. Both teams are pretty much only going to be facing the best guys out of the bullpen. Yeah. I would not be surprised if Houston with their depth in the bullpen kind of does like a five and dive strategy. Yeah. Of course, Dusty might, might not do that. He might just keep guys in up to like the seventh and eighth inning, big as he can. Yeah. Um, also, be reminded. I think this Houston team did throw a no hitter last year, right in in the playoffs. Uh, yeah, I believe that's right. Yeah. Uh, so, um, yeah, or like we were talking about before, you know, Javier hasn't been you know as good as he's been in the past. Maybe his starts like, hey, he's going three innings one time to the order. After that, we're lifting him right. Or that fourth starter, maybe it's the same thing where you kind of have an opener who goes one or two, and mm-hmm. then you have a bullpen game the rest of the way, right? They have the depth. They have the to, depth to do it. Yeah. To to uh, the Twins' credit, so do they, right? If they want to go kind of that strategy with Ryan or Ober, they definitely could do that as well. Right. Kenta Maeda for sure is like kind of primed for this this um, 
this series. Yeah. Yep. Um, and so uh, everybody's going to be pretty fresh coming into this game. Obviously, the Twins had to play a few, and so you don't get Pablo in game one, but you'll get him in game two. Uh, and yeah, it's going to be good. So let's go over some of the uh, small sample all-stars like we did last time. <laughs> uh, on the Twins side, Christian Vasquez, 900 OPS. Uh, Donovan Solano, 976. Willie Castro, 944. Kyle Farmer, uh, 1032. Ryan Jeffers, 1357. And Alex Kirilov, 1411. So some good <laughs> stuff there. Unfortunately, half of those guys will not be starting. Uh, actually, four out of the six of them will not be starting. <laughs> I mean, hey, maybe this is the Christian Vasquez revenge series. Uh, maybe, or maybe he doesn't start a game because he didn't. He didn't. I was kind of surprised they didn't start him in either game, but I think it's a good decision. Jeffers has been better on both sides. So. Yeah, I mean, and I think they kind of figured out that hey, our bats aren't really doing anything, so we need as much, uh, you know, bat as we can. So that's why they went with Jeffers. Yeah. yeah. Um, and then the bad ones: Julian five seventeen OPS, Correa three sixty seven, Kepler oh seventy one. But I will reiterate that was before Max Kepler was good. So. <laughs> Um, on the pitching side for the twins, uh, Louis Varland gave up a 367 OPS against, didn't give up any runs. Uh, but again, that was as a starter, not as a reliever. Still good, I guess. But uh, Duran, uh, I think he pitched in two, maybe three of these games 258 OPS against, no runs. Jack, zero OPS, no runs. On the bad side, Pagan, a thousand OPS against, but didn't give up any runs. And Brock Stewart, uh, in a very short start. Uh, a very short appearance, 875 OPS and gave up a run. So uh, that is from the Twins side. On the Astros side, how they fared against the Twins this year. Uh, Yander Diaz, we already talked about. He had a 1250 OPS against them. Mauricio Dubon, 971. Jose Altuve, 905. Jeremy Pena, 885. And then the bad ones, which is very good from the Twins side, I would say, is Kyle Tucker, 364. Jose Abreu, 492. And Gordon Alvarez, 670 OPS, which is not – horrible but for Jordan Alvarez you will 100% take that granted so. with that 670 OPS he did still hit a grand slam so there's that yeah I, I think the main thing with that was like he hit that grand slam that was the only like big hit he had while he yeah. faced him so um you know like we've mentioned a million times over it's small sample sizes tiny 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 and so uh there's not a lot to take away from that other than maybe that they had a little bit of a good game plan against Tucker and Alvarez uh but again it's two games or it's not two games, it's two series. So maybe they just uh, got them at a bad time. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So it ultimately small sample size. It was only six games. Uh, you know, like we said, I think what uh, Matt Walner had like an OPS of like 2100 or something like that. And then <laughs> I guess the Blue Jays. Yeah. yeah. And then he got what? Three at bats basically. <laughs> yeah. Something like that. He, he like took a walk and that was it that Matt Walner did. So. Right. Yeah. Um, and, and it's not only small sample sizes, right? It's that you're just not going to, you know, Joe Ryan going four innings and giving up five runs. Well, that's just not going to happen, right? Joe mm -hmm. Ryan's not going to be left in that long. If he's given up two runs through two innings, he's probably not coming out for the third. And so it'll be different with uh, Pablo Lopez or Sonny Gray, but pretty much everybody besides that's going to have a fairly uh, short leash, whether you're starting or out of the bullpen. So yeah. um, either way, I think this is going to be a really good series. I think it's going to go five. I think... Astros are going to pull away, but I'm going to hope that they don't. And so um, I feel pretty confident with where the Twins are at. I'm glad to get Pablo twice. I think if you could get Pablo and Sonny twice, I would feel a lot better about that potential game five. But with that, uh, or game four and game five, but with Sonny only being able to go once, most likely, you yeah. really kind of put yourself at a pitching disadvantage compared to the Astros. Yes, yeah, so the earliest Sonny probably goes is Tuesday. And for him to turn around and basically 
pitch on three days rest to get game five. Yeah. Like that seems crazy because that would also force uh, Pablo to pitch on in game four on three days rest. And as much as you want to win a playoff series, I don't think that's, that's going to yeah. going to be the strategy here. And it's something where it's like, okay, maybe you could use Sonny out of the bullpen for an inning or two. But honestly, uh, you know, we see that in the past with like Clayton Kershaw pitching for the Dodgers, several yeah. other guys where it's like, okay, it's your bullpen day. You're going to get your bullpen work in this game instead. But, mm-hmm. um, you know, with the high leverage arms the Twins have out there right now, I don't really think it's going to be needed. You know, I think if you're in a situation where that game five, Pablo has to get pulled after four innings, you know, I'd rather go to Varlander Paddock than Sonny out of the bullpen. Yeah. So, okay. Maybe, maybe the final fun question of, of, um, of this, of the pod, since we've been talking about this, you are Rocco. Who do you put up for game four? Let's just say it's a two, one Astros. I mean, here's the thing is, it's not going to really be a choice at that point. You will have already made the decision by who you des- decide to start game one. Yeah. But um, if I had anybody, I really think at home, I would go with Joe Ryan uh, okay. for that game four, which is the other reason I would go Bailey Ober game one. Cause I trust Bailey Ober. Bailey Ober didn't like have a great home run rate or anything like that, but it was better than Joe Ryan's. Mm-hmm. And so um, that's the other reasons you pitch Ober on the road where he's more likely to give up some homers. You pitch Ryan at home where also he has better splits at home. He's pitched better. And so um, I think I would go in that spot. And like you talked about before, Joe Ryan still has that top level ace ceiling in him. And so it's completely possible. He comes out and he throws seven and strikes out 13. So, uh, or goes six and strikes out 10, like he did already. I overall though, I like the twins pitching depth over the Astros. The Astros have the two guys. And so you have to make sure you get to Javier or whoever it is in game three. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, and maybe you can outduel Fromber or uh, Verlander with Pablo in game two or with Sonny in game three. And so you just have to make sure that, you know, you capitalize on the cracks when they're there. We talked in the Blue Jays series about how they were getting guys on base, but they weren't following through that Willie Castro double play. Uh, you know, yeah, you got the one run in. Well, in this situation against the Astros, bases loaded, no outs. You got two runs out of it. You need to get three or four. Mm-hmm. You know, you, you can't uh, get out of there with like, I think in that situation, two runs is kind of the absolute bare minimum that you yeah. want in that mm-hmm. scenario. You you have to be better at taking advantage of those. And unfortunately, it's going to be harder because the bullpen of the Astros is much better than the bullpen of the Blue Jays. Yep. Yeah, I think the 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 interesting decision for the Twins will come down to do they keep Cody Funderburk on the roster? They not? have to. I imagine they have to. So then who do you take off to bring on Ober? That's – I think it might be Paddock uh, okay. in that case yeah. where it, it seemed pretty unlikely like they're they're going to use him. If you have Kenta and you have Varland already, who can go multiple innings. Mm-hmm. Paddock is a, an accessory at that point. And so I think it made sense to have him for – uh, the wild card round because you had the spot and you definitely weren't going to use Ober. Now, since you have to add Ober back in, uh, I think I would take Paddock. Maybe they go back to 13-13 and they take off Stevenson, but I would rather uh, – I mean, even more than Stevenson is have Luplo in that spot to fix. Yeah, I'd rather, I'd rather 14-12 for sure. Yeah. Um, and, I mean, we saw it in the series. How many pitchers did they use? Like how many guys out of the bullpen did they use? I think it was four maybe. It was Duran, Jax, Thielbar. Varland and Stewart. So five of them, right? Yeah. And so that means Paddock never got used. Uh, Maeda never got used and Funderburg never got used. Is that everybody? 
correct. And Kenta, which I think you Kenta. said. Oh, Pagan, uh, right? Pagan. Yeah. yeah, Pagan never got used. And Pagan's pretty good, right? The, yeah. And I, so you used one of your guys. It's probably like the next in the pecking order there. He never even came out. And so, yeah, the series is longer, but it's only two games potentially. You have more off days, right? This isn't going to be three in a row. You have two, you have an off day. You have two, you have an off day. You have that last one. So, yeah. um, I mean, even more than before, I would maybe be willing to go down to 11 pitchers. But I, I think max you go with 12 and you take out paddock for over. Yeah, that makes sense. I'm, I'm, yeah, I'm kind of torn on whether Thunderbird or paddock makes sense here, but yeah, if you want a lefty specialist against those yeah. dangerous righty bats, then yeah, you yeah. probably keep Thunderbird just in case. Yeah. And I imagine the twins are thinking the same thing where you would much rather have, you know, if you're thinking about maybe like a fifth inning spot where maybe you don't want to bring field bar in yet. You want to save him for one later in the game when these big guys are up. Um, you know, would you rather bring Emilio Pagan fifth inning guys on first and third and one out? Would you rather bring in Pagan or would you rather bring in Thunderbird against Alvarez and Tucker right in a row and maybe Brantley right after them? Um, you know, I, I think you'd rather go with Thunderbird and take the platoon advantage. Uh, I mean, when you're facing yard on Alvarez, I don't know if there's really a platoon advantage at that point. Yeah, but. that's fair. <laughs> I, I still think I'd go with him over Pagan in that spot, though. Yeah, yeah. Well, ultimately, you know, rosters I think get released Friday morning or you know Friday afternoon or whatever they have to get them in. But um, it's going to be very interesting to see who gets yeah. put on the in the roster. I mean, and we talked about this before too. But Byron Buxton is the other question. Of, yep. Uh, maybe instead of Luplo, if you do feel like Buxton can pinch hit in a spot or start at DH against. Uh, Start at DH against Fromber. Maybe you go with that. Of course, Lewis factors into that. Can Lewis play third base? Uh, I would guess not. And if he can't, then he's your DH pretty much no matter what. So then you don't add Buxton. Yeah. But they, they have a decision to make there. A few other things to think about too. Alex Kirilov, he got his wrist stepped on by George Springer. Yeah. And uh, he stayed in that game. But again, uh, I don't know if you saw the pictures of them walking to the plane today. It was uh, wrapped up pretty thick there. So um that's yeah. again he's had wrist troubles in the past and if you know your wrists aren't feeling good as a hitter it's really hard to hit so yeah i'm just like throwing around different lineups in my head to face Fran valdez and i'm just like man these all sound crazier than the last but <laughs> um yeah i mean if when there you face was a lefty way, then you're like we have to decide what we're doing I know, if there was some way buxton could stand in left field for five innings until you get through fromber um i, I think they would add him to the roster for that reason right because um, you'll take him over Luplo. I think, you know, when we were talking before about, okay, Stevenson in this specific role or mm -hmm. Buxton in this specific role, Stevenson made more sense. Now with Fromber on the table, I think Buxton in a five inning stand in left field role, pinch hit occasionally over Luplo and something like that. Um, I think I would take Buxton in that case. Yeah. Yeah. Especially because you know, you have to, if you're going to win this series, it's not going to be three zero sweep, so you're going to have to face Framber twice. So you really want yep. to get the best righty bats that you can on your roster Definitely. in this situation. Yeah, and so again, I, I would expect uh, Kirilov will be on the roster. I would expect Correa will be on the roster after taking that uh, pitch off his hand. But you never know. Uh, with just the Twins' luck, sometimes those things just pop up at the exact right, wrong time. And I have some bad news, which is there's a not insignificant chance that if Kirilov can't go, Joey Gallo is added. Uh, just because you need another body besides Solano to play first base. Because at that point, you're starting Solano every game. And if he has to come out for some reason, your backup first baseman is Christian Vasquez. So, no, your backup first baseman is Edward Julian. Who played all of like seven innings there. I don't <laughs> in care. His it's Edward career. Julian. <laughs> yeah. 
Uh, it's I don't think the it's the playoffs. Worst. Get your best batters in the game. Who cares? Yeah, about I mean they're doing it with Polanco already, who has played some just terrible defense at third. Honestly, so. like this is I was throwing around this idea in my head. I thought it was too crazy, but now I'm going to say it. Edward Julian at first, Jorge Polanco at second, Kyle Farmer at third, Royce Lewis DHs. I mean, it's not the worst thing I've ever heard. It's not the best. It's, it's not definitely the not the best, but it's uh, it 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 it's uh, if if Kirilov can't go. I'd rather Julian at first than Joey Gallo. Yeah. I, I'm also – there is not a single like reporter that has reported anything about a Kirilov injury. There is not like – it might just be that like since he has these wrist injuries in the past, he just like you know keeps it wrapped, keeps it ice. There's some sort of like – I'm sure there's like daily therapy exercises he's doing on it. Yeah. It could 100% just be something like that. But uh, when you see a guy walking out to uh, – the plane, you know, supposedly supposedly supposed to be, you know, dripped out for the cameras and everything. He's got this big old wrap around his wrist. It's never encouraging. Yeah. Well, we'll see what happens come Saturday. Definitely. We uh, will be back with you uh, to talk about the Houston series. We'll see where the Twins are at. The nice thing about this one is if you lose game one, it's not the end of the world like it would be in the wild card series. You can easily come back from that. And so uh, I'm excited for this. It's going to be a really good competitive series. I don't think you're going to see the Twins uh, maybe have their 2020 experience against Houston where they never really seem like they had a chance. So. <laughs> Plus, Carlos Correa, man, October Correa is a real thing. He's just, he's got that it factor. You can tell it, you know, he's not always coming up with these huge hits or anything, but he's got the confidence. He's got the swagger. I really like to see it. He's sixth all time in, in postseason RBIs. I know. That's insane. That's so nuts. I know. Granted, like, the Astros have been really good and there's more playoff games now than there's ever been in the past. But still, you know, like, just think about the guys who play now uh who you think would maybe fill into that list no it's correa yeah so. also shout out to bernie williams for somehow to lead somehow leading that list yeah with significantly fewer playoff games yeah it's available to be played. 61 i think so yeah granted he also usually batted lead off so that's why he didn't get that many rbis so yeah. there's that all right well we'll be back to talk soon where i'm sure the twins will have a series lead once again since we've had a podcast the twins have not lost a playoff game so yeah i like those odds i like those odds all right be sure to uh subscribe to the podcast again uh we really appreciate it and you know listen refer to your friends everything you can do to share it we always appreciate you helping to grow so uh we'll be back with you soon and until then go twins